You're listening to Comedy Central. So how many of you accidentally or purposefully eat the sticker on the fruit? Does anybody do that? Because this was a big thing online. People were arguing about whether or not you can eat the sticker that they put on the fruit. And like a lot of people are like, yeah, you're supposed to eat it, it's edible. And then other people are like, you should not be eating stickers on the fruit. It was like a whole fight. It was a whole fight. My thing was, really, there was just two things. Number one, who are you that you do not have time to like take a sticker off of your fruit? What is happening in your life that you're just like, oh, there's a sticker, I don't have time. I'm like, I have to save lives. Like, who are you? you? Take the time, look at the thing and peel it. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like, but then at the same time, there's also the people who are like, this, you can't eat a sticker. It is the worst thing that'll happen. It's not the worst thing. Uh, they're biodegradable. It's not good, but it's not the worst thing. People are gonna act like hot dogs don't exist. You know, if you eat hot dogs, I mean, you're the kind of person who like looks at life and just goes like, yeah, man, fuck around, let's find out. <laughs> That's what a hot dog is. Do you know what I'm saying? You're just the kind of person who's just like, yeah. And it's like a good combination of like threat and like, you know, security. Cause the bread is like, we understand what bread is. And then the hot dog, you're like, ah, let's see. Let's see what's going on, baby. I'm all about that life. But I mean, I don't know if you should eat the sticker. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know you could eat the sticker until this argument, by the way till I saw this, then the New York Times did a piece on this. And then the FDA has stepped in. I was like, wow, of all the things the New York Times could be doing. <laughs> yeah. It's weird to be like in a newsroom and there's just people like that, you know? What are you looking at? I'm looking at what's happening at the Russian border with Ukraine. What are you looking into? I'm investigating these new vaccines. And you, you guys notice the sticker on fruit? You think we should eat it or not eat it? I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do a 300, 300 word article on this, guys. We're all journalists here. <laughs> Countdown to that person writing a hit piece on me. Well played, New York Times journalist. Why Trevor Noah is worse than the stickers on fruit. Well played. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America. It's The Daily Show, ears edition. Tonight, anime can get you in trouble. Marching bands are racist. And Dwayne Wade. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I'm Trevor Noah. And joining me for today's headlines is our very own Desi Lydic. What's going on, Desi? Hey, Trevor. How I'm you doing? Good. I'm yeah? good. I'm just, you know, prepping for Thanksgiving, getting ready. I'm not hosting this year, which is a huge relief, but I am in charge of the dressing, which is kind of a huge responsibility, dressing all of my uncles. <sighs> Finding clothes for all 16 of them, that's, that's a lot. I think the dressing has, you know what, Desi? Good for you. By the way, do you know where I can find a bunch of camo hats? No. No, I don't. Sorry, I took an edible before I got here. I didn't know I was gonna be on today. Well, that's fine, Desi. Just relax and breathe and we'll be, we'll be good. Okay, cool. Yeah. You okay? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Desi. You good? Hmm? Okay, we'll, we'll come back. You shout if you need anything. Okay. All right, let's jump right into today's headlines. We kick things off with today's big basketball story. And no, I'm not talking about everyone dunking on the Eternals. I'm talking about an iconic stadium that's taking on a brand new identity. 
After 22 years, Staples Center in downtown Los Angeles is getting a new name, and it's a real sign of the times. Beginning Christmas Day, the home of the Lakers, Clippers, and Kings will be known as Crypto.com Arena. The cryptocurrency trading platform reportedly paid more than $700 million for the naming rights. The Lakers won six championships in this building. The Sparks won three titles. The Clippers play here, too. You know, it'd be weird. This is, uh, you know, I grew up this being Staples and Staples being, you know, the place to play and the place to be. It's kind of like just stripping the, the history here. Well, I mean, I don't know if you need to get that sentimental, Paul. You know, it's not like Staples is a sacred name from the ancestors. It's a store where you buy 50 packs of binders even though you only need one, you know? And then when you get home, you find out they were the wrong size anyway. You don't need to get that nostalgic about it. Like, it's company. And if you do want to get nostalgic, just wait, just wait. I promise you, soon we'll all get used to Crypto.com Arena. And in 20 years, when they change that name to Nanobot X Arena or whatever, your kids will be upset about that. Back in my day, this stadium wasn't about the latest Fed. It was about swapping blockchain currencies on a digital market exchange. There was culture attached to it, you know? NFTs. And look, this, this shouldn't come as a surprise, but anywhere a team can advertise, they're gonna advertise. Right? The stadiums, the jerseys, the courts, they literally started showing commercials during free throws. You realize that? We're two months away from the NBA selling name rights to the score. It's gonna be like, and the game ends with a score of 84 to Mountain Dew. A big win for the Lakers or a big loss. I can't tell what's happening. But I mean, can you blame the arena though? If people are offering you a shitload of money to use their name, you do it. I mean, that's what I did. I sold my naming rights to a guy named Trevor Noah for 40 bucks. What, what, you know this? Come on, do I look like a Trevor? My real name is Bert Pakowski. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just can't stop picturing them removing the Staples logo with one of those giant staple removers. <laughs> <laughs> just a giant claw. <laughs> sorry, oh. the edible's kicking in, I think. I need to know what edibles these are. All right, let's move on from sports to music. And the woman that everyone is talking about right now, Taylor Swift. Pop star, songwriter, and inventor of the color red. Personally, I love Taylor Swift, huge fan. Really nothing bad to say about her. But even if I had something bad to say about her, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it. Because Taylor Swift's fans are super protective of her. Like, like they're like one of those old fashioned dads with a shotgun who doesn't want you to marry his daughter because he wants to marry her. You see, Taylor Swift has been re-recording all of her old albums, which means people are re-listening to all of her old songs about her famous exes and then getting mad at those exes all over again on her behalf. And while Taylor may be content to address her old boyfriends with heartfelt lyrics and songs that are, again, I wanna stress this, perfect in every way, some of her fans are a lot less subtle. This is going a little too far. While Jake Hall is taking incoming fire from the Swifties, another one of Taylor's exes is being bombarded with messages now. A user on Instagram sent John Mayer a direct message telling him, fuck yourself, you ugly bitch. I hope you choke on something. Mayer then responded to the user saying that he'd been getting many messages like that over the past couple of days and asking, do you really hope I die? To which the user responded, OMG, what? I don't want you to die. I'm sorry. The user apologized again and admitted they didn't really think Mayer would see the message. You see, people, this is what I hate about social media. It makes people act shittier than they actually are, which then makes us think that people are shittier than they actually are. Because social media makes us forget that we're all human beings. 
You know, we just see that little avatar and then we all talk shit to each other, but we're all human. Even celebrities are real people, all of them. I mean, I always, obviously, except Timothy Chalamet, he's gotta be CGI, no one can be that good looking. I mean, just look at that person. Now I'm craving spice. God damn. Mm, 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 mm. And I know her fans are like, but he hurt her. Listen to her song. Yes, that's all you're supposed to do. Listen to the song. You know, Taylor Swift writes songs to express her emotions in a way that touches other people. Not to order a hit on her ex-boyfriends. So death threats are not the way to go, especially with someone like John Mayer. Don't, don't send him death threats. He gets them all the time. If you really want to upset him, tell him that Ed Sheeran is a better guitar player. Well, that's gonna hit his heart. <laughs> you know, it's, it's weird how people get, like, they're so hateful on the internet, Desi. Yeah, I know. It's bad, but if you think John Mayer's DMs are rough, you should see the DMs of any woman on the internet. Really? Yeah. It's either death threats or requests to see your feet. Like, Every time. Like, just your feet feet? Yeah, just your feet. Huh. Or a death threat, one of the two. It's wow. either like, why are women in Star Wars? Or send me a picture of your feet. That's really intense. Yeah, yeah. I know they're both bad, but which one do you prefer? Well, I'm pretty proud of my feet. So I got no problem sending foot pics. Again, bad, I just wondered which one. Have you ever requested a foot pic? No, no. Wow, look who's a gentleman. I think Thank normal you. is the phrase you were looking for, maybe? No, okay, it all depends. Yeah. No, but to be totally fair, it is completely inappropriate for anyone to send a death threat on the internet. Okay. It's, it's not cool. I agree. You gotta do it the old school way. You know, you gotta like cut out from a magazine. This is the real way to do it. That is better than a DM? Yeah. Still not good. Yeah. I always have this with me, just in case. I don't even know who it's for, but it takes so long to do it that I figure by the time I'm done, I'll figure it out. I'll be pissed at somebody. By the way, you're out of glue. Yeah, and all my magazines have been destroyed. Thank you, Desi. Yeah, no, this is from your book cover. Oh, well, thank you. I thought you wanted it signed because you wanted to read it. You wrote that book? Yeah, I did, I, I wrote it. All right, let's, let's move on to the big story from Washington today. Last week, Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar tweeted an anime video of him chopping off AOC's head, right? Easily the most disturbing cartoon since that Family Guy fanfic porn I accidentally watched seven times. Brian has stamina. And Democrats were so furious about this video that today they voted to censure Gosar and kick him off of his committees. The first member of Congress to be censured in over a decade. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But Gosar, well, he seemed to take it as a badge of honor. I rise today to address and reject the mischaracterization, accusations from many in this body that the cartoon from my office is dangerous or threatening. If I must join Alexander Hamilton, the first person attempted to be censored by this house, so be it. It is done. Uh... Yeah, I, I don't know if this makes you the same as Alexander Hamilton. You know, this is, like, this is like Jeffrey Epstein's girlfriend taking the stand like, if I must be tried and caught just as Jesus was, then so be it. No, no, lady, lady, it's the same process, but these are very different crimes. Now, the fact is that this didn't surprise anybody, right? Seeing something like this from Paul Gosar is not surprising because over the years, Gosar has made a name for himself as possibly the most controversial person in all of Congress which is actually pretty impressive when you think about it. So 
Let's talk about what makes Gosar one of Congress's most extreme extremists in another installment of Fringe Watching. Paul Gosar was first elected to Congress back in 2010, riding the wave of the Tea Party, the movement that pretended to care about the national debt, but only while Obama was in office. He's black. And like many Tea Partiers who were elected that year, he didn't come from a career in politics. No, he was a dentist, which as far as he's concerned, is all the experience a congressman needs. I was a dentist, and so every patient that walks in my office, I have to be prepared for an emergency. I'm a dentist, so science is a big deal to me. As a dentist, I love the KISS theory, keep it simple, stupid. By the way, I'm a dentist. Okay, so I read body language very, very well. Okay, half of those didn't even make sense. He was just adding as a dentist to the beginning of unrelated thoughts. Yo, I'm a dentist, so can I get this dry cleaning back on Tuesday? I'm a dentist. No, you're not currently a dentist. You're working at another job. You can't use your previous job at this job. I'm a dentist. Would you like uh, number two as well with that? And look, I agree that being a dentist is the perfect job to prepare you for being in Congress, you know, since you already have tons of experience with people hating you. But it turns out there was one part of being a dentist that Gosar did bring to Congress, teeth whitening. Except instead of whitening teeth, he's trying to whiten America. Few Republicans have been more linked to extremist groups than Mr. Gosar. He's been involved with anti-Muslim groups and hate groups. In 2018, he dined with an, an, an extremist anti-Muslim Belgian politician at a London event organized by Steve Bannon. And last month, he tweeted, then deleted, a reportedly neo-Nazi-themed video. Gosar has aligned himself closely with leaders of white nationalists and extremist groups, people like Nick Fuentes, the 22-year-old leader of the America First movement. Other conservative organizations have denounced him as a Holocaust denier and a racist. The Arizona Republican was the keynote speaker at a conference hosted by Mr. Fuentes' group in February, the only member of Congress to participate. Congressman Marjorie Taylor Greene, along with Republican Congressman Paul Gosar, have been working to create a new House caucus to help return America to its, quote, Anglo-Saxon roots. The document reads, quote, America is a nation with a border and a culture strengthened by a common respect for uniquely Anglo-Saxon political traditions. You know, I always find it funny how white supremacists want to take America back to its roots, but not like the original roots, you know? just like the roots of when white people were in charge. We need to take this country back to when Native Americans were in charge? No, 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 too far back, too far back. Go forward, go forward. Mm, to MLK? No, 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 too far forward. Back, 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 back. The Irish coming over? Stop, perfect. Because let's be honest, that's what he means by Anglo-Saxon traditions, right? Like when he says that, he's not talking about knights in armor roaming the land on quests, although that, that would be pretty cool. People of Arizona, I'm off to slay the mighty dragon as a dentist. Now, the only thing that Gosar loves more than whiteness is a really, really good conspiracy theory. In fact, he's claimed the Democrats stole a Senate race in 2018. He's claimed that the neo-Nazi rally in Charlottesville was a false flag operation secretly carried out by George Soros. And he's claimed that the FBI was behind the Capitol riot on January 6th. And that last one is especially weird because one of the people who arguably was responsible for January 6th was Paul Gosar. Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar firing up crowds with lies about the election results. Imagine this, that you get to go back home when, once we conquer the hill. Donald Trump has returned to being the president. Yeah. 
and amazing things will happen with four more years. In just the days before the riot, he tweeted, Patriots, the time is now. Hold the line. Join me in D.C. January 6th. Hashtag fight for Trump. And in another, he tweeted, sedition and treason for stealing votes is appropriate. On the morning of the siege, he would send followers this image, stating Biden should concede. He promptly went to Congress, stood up, and opposed the certification of the Electoral College results. I rise up for myself and 60 of my colleagues to object to the counting of the electoral ballots from Arizona. The end of his speech, interrupted by the very mob he helped stir up. Ah, the irony interrupted by his own mob. You see, this is why when you're fermenting a coup, you gotta coordinate, you know? Send out a doodle. Let the mob know you're speaking to overturn the election at 1.30, so maybe they could overtake the police barricade at two, maybe, you know? You know, the only thing worse than your mob showing up early is your mob showing up late, because then you're just on the floor of Congress going, and if you think Joe Biden is gonna be president, I have a few thousand friends who disagree. Guys, where, where are you? Yeah, don't use the bathroom now. Use it after. This is the time. This is the time. So when you look at what he's done in Congress, I'm not surprised the GOP doesn't care about Gozar's anime video. I mean, between the coup and the white supremacy, this is the least offensive thing that he's ever done. And the GOP might not be condemning Gozar's behavior, but his own family is definitely picking up that slack. Arizona Congressman Paul Gosar was whacked with this attack ad by six of his brothers and sisters. My name is Tim Gosar. David Gosar. Grace Gosar. Joan Gosar. Gaston Gosar. Jennifer Gosar. Paul's absolutely not working for his district. And he's not listening to you. And he doesn't have your interests at heart. Gosar fired back on Twitter. You can't pick your family, Gosar tweeted. To the six angry Democrat Gosars, see you at mom and dad's house. God. Damn, we need to get Paul Gosar out of Congress and onto a Bravo show. You telling me you wouldn't watch the real Gosars of Maricopa County? I'm a dentist. I'm a private investigator. I hate you. We hate you too. Ah, tune in. I don't even want to imagine how stressful Thanksgiving must be for Gosar's parents. Think about it. You got to cook for a bunch of children and the entire mob that Paul brings. You're not serving pumpkin pie this year? Well, let's see what my friends have to say about that. Wait, where are you, the bathroom again? Come on, what did you guys eat? You're killing me here. My mom's waiting. Yeah, we gotta prove a point to her. Okay, okay, I'll see you soon. I'll be honest though, as awkward as this family dynamic is, it's more surprising to me when someone does endorse a sibling. I can't front. I mean, think about it, siblings have experienced too much with you. Like, I don't care if my sister and I believe in all the same things. She put my hand in warm water to make me pee in bed. Nobody should do that to a 37-year-old. So that's Paul Gosar, fringe politician, anime fan, and a man so awful he couldn't win votes from his own family. And I don't know about you guys, but someone this awful, well, they shouldn't be running anything in government. And I don't say this as a talk show host. I say this as someone who's been to the dentist. All right, when we come back, we won't just hear some marching bands, we'll listen to them. What does that mean? I don't know. Just stick around to find out. Welcome back to The Daily Show. If you've ever watched a college football game, you know two things. One, you could definitely have coached that team better. And two, the marching band is pretty awesome. 
But how much do you know about the history of the marching band? Well, Dulce will fool you in with another installment of Dulcein. Marching bands. It's the one time black people get to march without Fox News calling them rioters. And we all love them. Even those of us who got cut from one just because our baton twirling was deemed dangerous. Maybe those trombone players should have stayed out of my strike zone. Hmm. But marching bands are even more amazing when you learn about their history. For example, you may not know this, but black marching bands actually started in the same setting as all your dad's favorite movies. Times of War. You see, in colonial times, black men weren't allowed to carry weapons, but they still had to serve in state militias. So they were assigned to fife and drum corps instead. And they needed a fife and drum corps back then, in case the armies ran out of bullets and had to resort to a rap battle. So yeah, not letting the black servicemen have guns was racist. But there was actually an interesting side effect of this racism. Because over the next century, the military pumped out thousands of trained black musicians who took their marching band skills back to their communities. And that's definitely one of the best skills to take out of the military. I mean, who do you want at a party? The guy who knows how to play drums or the guy who knows how to dig a hole to poop in? And all of this marching band culture found a new home in 1890 when Tuskegee University started the first HBCU marching band. It turns out college and marching bands are a natural fit, like college and STDs. Over the next 50 years, marching bands popped up at Alabama State, Florida A&M, Kentucky State, and other HBCUs. But the big turning point came in 1946, when Dr. William P. Foster at Florida A&M discovered the missing ingredient, choreography. Dr. Foster taught his marching band new dance moves with help from a PE teacher named Beverly Barber. And that must have been cruel for all those band nerds who thought that going to college meant no more gym class. Oh, you thought you were done running? Mm-mm. Now you gotta do it with a tube. But it was worth it because choreography took marching bands to the next level. Adding dancing to anything makes it more entertaining. Karaoke, in-flight announcements, finding out you are not the father. <laughs> By the 1960s and 70s, HBCU bands had gone mainstream. They were playing Super Bowls, and they even marched in JFK's inaugural parade, which had to be the most memorable parade JFK was ever in. Wait, that seems wrong. Then Southern University's band changed the game again when they started doing their own rendition of Top 40 radio hits. That earned them the nickname The Human Jukebox, and it's a tradition that goes on to this day. I'm telling you, you haven't lived until you've heard a marching band cover WAP. There's no lyrics, so all these old people are dancing to it in the stands, and they don't even know they're getting down to a song about lubrication. <laughs> Get nasty, Grandma! It was also during this time that bands made their next big move, dance lines. These started with the Golden Girls of Alcorn State and spread to the J-sets of Jackson State, whose J-setting technique became a big influence on hip-hop dance. And the J-sets only happened because a majorette named Shirley Middleton demanded that they be allowed to dance in a more modern way and, quote, put down their batons. I wish someone had gotten rid of batons back when I was twirling. Then I wouldn't have gotten sued so much. The band got more CTE than the football team that year. Today, the impact of HBCU bands and their dancers is all over pop culture. They're in songs, movies, and they were even part of Beyonce's iconic Coachella performance. That show changed the conversation. It changed the culture. I mean, just watching that again, it changed my outfit. Here's how popular black marching bands are now. 
Even Trump had one perform at his inauguration. Between that and all the cheating on his wife, he was just like JFK. And just this year, Vice President Kamala Harris was escorted at the inauguration by the marching band from her own alma mater, Howard University. What an incredible moment that was. Most people only reconnect with their alma maters when they're getting hit up for donations. I already made a donation. It was called my tuition. And I had a full ride. So the next time you see a black marching band, you'll know how they became the phenomenon that they are today. Now, play me out. Ha ha! Still got it. Uh-huh, see? Not so bad. Ooh. I'm not paying for that. Thank you so much for that, Dulce. All right, when we come back, the legendary Dwayne Wade will be joining me right here in the studio. You don't wanna miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is NBA superstar and businessman, Dwayne Wade. He's here to share his new photographic memoir about his legendary career and building a legacy off the court. Dwayne Wade, welcome to the show. Man, thank you. And good to have you here with like, you know, a book that I, I, I didn't know what to expect when I started reading it, but it feels like a memoir in pictures. It feels like a story of your life and some of your inner monologue thoughts. Like what inspired this version of the book? It is. It- that's exactly what it is. I didn't. I didn't want to go at it from a standpoint of like just words on a on a paper. I've, I've done that once, uh-huh. and it was great. But like this time, sitting down thinking about um, my responsibility and my role, and I take it very seriously um, as a public figure. Mm-hmm. And you know, just understanding that little Dwayne's needs something to see. Right. You know, like reading something is great, but when they can actually see the image of the of the, of something of someone. I think that right there is more powerful. So for me, it was important that I show the human side of, you know, what people look at as, as an athlete because they met right, me as an right, athlete, right, okay. but I'm okay. a human. And so I wanted to show a little bit of that. Yeah, it's a beautiful book divided into quarters, you know? Uh, you know, like your life has been this game that you've been playing out. I was a little disappointed because I was like, well, it can't be four quarters because your life's not finished yet. So then the next one's gonna be overtime. You realize that, right? Didn't think of that. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think of writing another book. I, didn't. <laughs> gonna, your I life was like, is, this, is, this your, is it. Your life is, do you ever think about that as an athlete? It's like, you know, a lot of the time for athletes and for the public, sometimes your life ends when your career ends. You know, mm-hmm. do you ever think about that and, and, and how hard it is to think about your next journey as a human being? I mean, I know, you know, you're a husband, you're a dad, you're a businessman now, but were you ever worried? Was there ever a moment where you were like, man, who is Dwayne Wade? without the ball, who's Dwayne Wade without the hoops? 1,000%. I mean, basketball is what I know, right? From the standpoint of, I've focused my whole life on trying to be great. If you're trying to be great at something, you understand it, it takes all of your, your attention, mm-hmm. it takes all of your time. And once I got to like my last year, when I was like, all right, I think I'm ready to walk away, I was like, what am I gonna do next? And everybody tells you along the way, you're gonna be fine, you're gonna have so many <laughs> things going on. You're like, how, where? And you know, I took a few I took a few months off, maybe like two to three months, yeah. and then I just said, you know what? Uh, talk with my team, and let's say, let's get back to it. Let's just hit the ground running. Let's take meetings, and let's just see, let's see where my interest lies. Because I didn't know, you know, all I knew is I loved the game of basketball, and I enjoy business. And I enjoy making money. Mm-hmm. I enjoy creating things. Mm-hmm. I enjoy designing things. So, for me, it was like let's find what that next step is. So I feel that I'm in my rookie season in life again. I'm in oh, the pregame. Like I'm I in like the pregame that. again, and in, in this in this new this new step, this new walk. If I, if I had guessed before reading the book and someone said to me, okay, what are Dwayne Wade's passions? I would have gone, okay, basketball is definitely one of them. Yes. I would have said fashion yes. is definitely one of them. Yes. You know, Dwayne Wade's never been afraid to take a chance. <laughs> um, you know, I would have said wine is one of them. Yes. You know, but one thing I would have never said before reading the book was karaoke. Oh, 
Listen. You, you, you're a humble person, but the one thing you have no humility about, you, you call yourself <laughs> the greatest karaoke singer in the league. Well, you're just like you. When goat. I was in the league, yeah. You're now the goat. I'm out of the league. I'm, I'm, I'm the goat. Oh, you're just it, the goat. It's now. not that. It's not that I can sing. I cannot sing to save my life. It's that I will get up on stage anywhere to sing karaoke. Like I go to local bars and just jump on stage. That's that's the kind of person I am. Wow. I gotta know the song, but you know what I mean. Yeah, but you you just I do it anywhere. I do it anywhere. Do you have a favorite song? Like, what is like Dwayne Wade's? Well, my wife told me I need a new song because I've been doing the same one for about six, seven years. What, what's that song? Oh, Montel Jordan. This is how, you know, okay. it's easy. I, I, well, I like my, Montel Jordan because it brings the energy. I hear you. Everybody know the words. Even if right. you don't know the words, right. you know some of the right. words. And so it's kind of crowd participation. <laughs> and I don't have to sing. I can deep voice it. So, but yeah, I love it, man. I love it. I, I did like the human side of um, your story with LeBron, you know. I wasn't, in, I wasn't in the U.S. When, when the whole move to Miami happened. I wasn't yeah. in the U.S. for that chaos. What do you think was the biggest thing that people missed from LeBron coming to Miami? You know, you, you, you share a few thoughts in the book that I really enjoyed. You know, the conversation you had, what were you, trying to, you, were, trying, you were trying to achieve. But what do you think people missed in that story? What do you think that, you know, people just didn't understand about that move and the big three? Well, I mean, I'm sure it was a lot that, that people... Didn't understand, you know, didn't understand. I mean, as, as athletes, you know, when you're, you're touted as one of the, the, the goods and the greats mm -hmm. in the game, they say these are the things you have to accomplish. You have to get rings. You have to get MVP. Like, it's all these things. And so you can't knock someone for, for listening to that and going out and making sure that you put the best team around you right. to win. Mm -hmm. And so I think at that time, you know, I, was I had won a championship at 24. I've been losing, 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 losing. I was tired of that. LeBron, you know, for seven years, is, you know, he's got, he got close ones, but he was ready to, like, get over that hump. Right. Um, Chris Bosh was an emerging star in Toronto, um, and he was ready to get a little bit more light, a little bit more attention. So I just feel like, man, just to be young and, and to decide as young men that we want to do this. Mm -hmm. As friends, um, you know, we understood at that moment that we were shifting the culture of what the NBA was yeah, at that moment. Yeah, it has, it'll never be the same. Yeah, I mean, you, it, you player know. empowerment. That's right. what that move was about. Your life has been one that is filled with both tragedy and triumph. I, I, I can't help wondering if that's why you've been as dedicated to your family as, as you have been. You know, it feels like Dwayne Wade has gone like, I wanna win championships on the court, but I wanna win championships at home as well. And you know, I see that, you know, with, for instance, your son Zaire, who's playing in the game now. Yeah. I've seen your face light up when you watch <laughs> him or when you play against him. And I've also seen like the, the journey that you've been on with your daughter and just like talking through the challenges of having a child who's trans and learning about it. And I wanna know a little bit more about that. Everyone thinks the journey to understanding trans people and the conversation happens overnight. It wasn't overnight for you, no. and you had to learn. If you were to talk to another parent out there, or somebody who just goes like, Dwayne, this is just, I don't get, this is wrong, this is, I, I don't get it. What helped you to begin to understand so that you could be the best parent to her? Well, I think when, when things happen personally to you, when you have a personal connection to something or someone, um, you, you take it a little bit more serious. And, but when it happens to you, you have to, you have to look it in the face. You have to, you know, right on. Like my daughter looking at me across the table. I, I have to, I, I, this is something I need to deal with, right? In the sense of, I don't know everything, you know? And, and as a parent, you want to make sure that your kids come to you, you have answers. Mm. You know what I mean? You have the right words, you have the right, you know, support. Uh, whatever it is, you have the right motivation. And so at that moment, I had no answers. The only answer that I knew and that I had that this is my child, I love him and I hate the pain that my child is in. 
Wow. Right. You know, seeing seeing the pain of you know not being able to feel feel you know confident and comfortable in who you are. Right. You know, that's not. You don't want to see no one live like that. No one you love. And so, immediately when it's the hug and the embrace and you see the just the light, like I seek Zaya's light. And for me to 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 be in a place where. I'm not trying to dim her light. I'm trying to move out the way and let her get all the light. Um, I just see a, a, a beautiful, you know, blossoming 14-year-old girl who's, you know, trying to find, you know, trying to pass her her, her test at school just like everybody else. Yeah, She's trying to yeah. find friends that are new, at, you know, this year going back to school like everyone else. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my wife and I, you know, our whole role and our whole job, and we understand this, is, you know, to provide, to protect, to love, um, to facilitate, you know, we have all these rules. It's, it's not to 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 own. It's not to say you're going to be this and you're going to do that. Right. It's to find out who they are. It's to find out what their likes and you know and and what are their dislikes, and try to help them you know through life. You know, be the best they can. Be. Find themselves. It's not about us. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not about us. That's hard to accept as a parent, man. Yeah. But you're doing it, Dwayne mm-hmm. Wade. Thank you again for joining me on the show. Congratulations. This is, this is a really fantastic um, coffee table book slash memoir-ish vibe. Uh, <laughs> and I'm excited to see what uh, overtime is going to bring, man. Congratulations. Thank you, Thank you my dude. Oh, you got it? Ooh. Right, that was quick. You still got those reflexes. Ooh. I like that. Dwayne Wade's new book, Dwayne, is available now. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go please consider supporting Gleaners Community Food Bank. Gleaners provides food to more than 660 partner soup kitchens, food pantries, shelters, and other agencies across the Detroit and South Michigan region. They're a vital link between available food and those who need it most. So if you wanna support them in their work this Thanksgiving, please donate at the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, If you're one of Taylor Swift's exes who might have been shitty to her, you might want to change your name to Crypto.com. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.